0: Well, happy uh, Labor Day weekend. Looks like we got a great weekend uh, going. It's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be away. My family and I were up at uh, Shaver Lake. We do that every, every year with uh, three generations. The good news is I have to report it, I didn't get a ticket on the Wave Runner this year. So I just want to report that. Uh, the even better news, is some of you know Brad Cherry from our church, we're in-laws, and he did get a ticket on the Wave Runner. So it was just a double blessing. It was uh, twice as good uh, as normal. So, uh, but it's really good to be back. Um, my name is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you here to Rocky Peak. And in fact, uh, do we have any people that are brand new today, your very first time? Do we have any, any visitors? Right back there? Good. Welcome. Welcome to you. Any, oh, we got some over here. Over here. Great. A very special welcome. At this time uh, in our service, we always go into a time of teaching. And uh, in, to help you follow along inside of your weekend program is a white message note sheet that we use every week uh, just to help us as we go through. And so I encourage you to take that out. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we're just so thankful for what you're doing here at our church, the way you're waking us up, the way you're drawing us on, the way you're drawing us out, the way that you're creating a heart and a passion for you a passion to be a church it's actually following you, being changed from the inside out, learning what it means to follow the voice of your spirit in our lives. And so today, Lord, we know it's the next lesson in that journey. We're glad to be here. We pray that um, you will come and you'll be our teacher as we pray every weekend. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Our story starts today. It was uh, the spring of 2007. It takes place in, in Turkey, in the province of Malatya. And uh, it was actually um, on Easter Sunday, the story starts, uh, it was April the 8th, 2007. There was a small little church meeting that day celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, about 30 believers in this mostly uh, Muslim country. And uh, three of the men who came that day, three of the men who were leaders, they they actually worked at a Christian publishing house in that city. One was a pastor who was 36 years old, had a wife, had two little preschool kids. Uh, One of the one of the men who came was uh, 32 years old. Both he and the pastor, they had, they had grown up as Muslims in Turkey, but they had converted to Christianity. The 32-year-old wasn't married, but he was engaged to be married. And then there was one other man who came that week. He was 46 years old. He was a German national. He brought his wife in, and they had three little children from 8 to 13. And so they were there that day, three of the leaders of this little church. And as they came in that day, they were greeted. Uh, there were uh, uh, five men, five Muslim men who had come and uh, said that they were seekers. They wanted to learn more about Jesus. And so, of course, they welcomed the men. They celebrated the resurrection together. And after the service, these men asked if they could meet with them again and if they could learn more about the Bible, learn more about Christianity. And, uh, of course, the believers were excited to do so. They set up a, a meeting. It was going to be a week from Wednesday on uh, April the 18th, 10 o'clock, at the publishing office where these three men worked. But it turned out that these five men weren't who they claimed to be. Today we're in a a series. We're continuing this series that we've been in now since February. It's called The Way. For those of you who are brand new here at Rocky Peak, this series is a study of the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who if you're kind of new at this whole Christianity thing, he's one of the greatest spiritual leaders, uh, kind of uh, Christian thinkers, one of the greatest Christ followers of all time. And what we're doing in this series is we're coming alongside of him and we're asking him to mentor us, if he would, and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century? What does it mean to be part of this ancient movement that Jesus started that in the early church was called The Way? And every week we're doing the same same routine. We start off with one of the Apostle Paul's most famous writings. It's called The Letter to the Church at Rome, and it's one of his longest letters, and and we, we start by unpacking that every week, and then we use it, and then we launch off from that into some of his other writings where he talks about similar topics, whatever he brings up in Romans that particular week. And today we come to um, chapter 8 of, of Romans. And if you've been with us in this series, you know that this is kind of the second mini series in Romans. We're calling it uh, Rescued and Restored because it's the story of the human race and how God has rescued us from our past. And through Christ and what he's doing to restore us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, that we're created to be. And today we come to chapter 8. It's our third week in chapter 8. As, uh, I've been gone a couple weeks. And today Paul wants to talk to us about what God is doing in the big picture to restore us to be the people that we're supposed to be, not only now but in the end of time, in fact, not only to restore us but to restore the whole cosmos, the whole creation to its original uh, intention. And so, if you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn up to Romans eight. We're going to start at verse sixteen. There's a section there in your note sheet called the Cry of the Cosmos. And so, go to Romans chapter eight. We're going to start at verse sixteen, and we'll go through verse twenty-four. Now, last time we were together, we we read chapter verse and we read verse sixteen and seventeen. But I want to go back there just because to catch the context. So, Romans chapter eight. And verse 16, it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So as we've been learning in Romans, that when a man or a woman gives her life to Jesus, that a supernatural change happens, right? That the Holy Spirit comes into our life, God himself comes to live in our our bodies, that we become uh, the, uh, kind of a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, that one of the things the Holy Spirit does right away is he begins to speak to us and to tell us some, some truths, and he begins to speak in a direct, intuitive way, and he tells us that you have a new relationship with God, that God is your Father now. And so that's what he's saying here in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, the deepest part of ourselves, that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs. Now, last time we went over this verse, I, I told you that every time I think of an heir, for some reason, I think of Paris Hilton, and I, I don't know why. Maybe it's the Carl's commercials. I'm not sure, but uh, but I always think of an heir, you know, and, and, and so like what's an heir? An heir is someone who's a, a, a son or a daughter of some people, and, and often you think of an heir or an heiress as a very kind of a rich family. that they're going to inherit uh, all their, their family, their, their parents uh, own, uh, either when their parents die or or when, the, when they come of age, right? That's what an heir is. And so this is what Paul is saying, is that we're now children of God. If we're his children, then we're heirs. We're set to inherit all that God has, all that God is. We're heirs of God, and we're co-heirs with Christ. So Christ is our big brother, and so we will get to share with him this inheritance in the next life, all that God has planned. And then he says uh, that we're heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ, if indeed, catch that, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. And so it's a package deal. Following Jesus is a package deal, right? That when we when we, when we look at the life of Jesus, and this the first life, when he, when he came to planet Earth, it was a life to a large degree of suffering, right? And then after the suffering came the glory. Well, in the same way as we are followers of Jesus, Paul says that often in this life, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution for following Jesus. And he says it's a package deal. If you want to, the, the, uh, you want to inherit what God has for his children in the next life, you have to be willing to suffer with Jesus in this life. And then he says, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says no matter what you have to go through now, uh, especially he's talking about persecution here, because no matter what you have to go through here for following Jesus, whatever price you have to pay, he says, trust me in this. It is worth it. In fact, it's not even worth uh, kind of working out the cost-value ratio on this one. It's not worth comparing. Now, honestly, if I were to read this verse, and it was kind of anyone else other than the apostle Paul, uh, it kind of sounds like religious speak, doesn't It kind of sounds like sermon talk, something a pastor would say. Hey, no matter how bad it gets, totally worth it because when Jesus comes, it's gone. But you know, uh, and you're kind of like, really? I mean, it just sounds like, like so idealistic. But you gotta remember who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, just a few months before he wrote the book of Romans, he wrote a little, uh, the book in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. I'm not gonna turn there, but I'd like you to write a passage down. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, you know, in the last 20 years, I've suffered a lot for following Jesus. And he just kind of runs through this grocery list of all the things he'd gone through. Uh, five times, he says, I was, uh, I was whipped by the, the Jewish leaders 39 times, which was they couldn't do 40 because supposedly that would kill you. So uh, five times in those 20 years. Uh, three times I was beaten by the Roman authorities with rods. They would beat you with rods. Uh, he said, uh, once I was stoned, you know, the, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, was, uh, uh, I was in prison, you know, multiple times. Um, he goes through this long litany of things that he'd suffered for Jesus. And so this is a man who knows what it is to suffer and have his body torn apart for Jesus. and And so we have to remember that when he's writing here back in Romans, in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever Paul has seen of the future, he says, it's so amazing that whatever it costs to follow Jesus in this life, no matter how horrendous, believe me, it's, it's not even worth comparing. Now, he says in verse 19, now, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. He says the whole creation, he's using sort of Old Testament language here, you know, like the, the rivers, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the plants, the birds, the trees. He says the whole creation, it's sort of like on tiptoe waiting for you and I as the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. He says the, the, the earth can't, it's just kind of, the whole creation can't wait for that day when your true identity as a Christ follower will be revealed as a son of God, as a child of God. Now, the question is, why would the creation care so much? Why would the creation care so much about us? Well, he gives the answer in the next verse. He says, for the, uh, verse uh, 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, that would be God, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. You might want to underline that, bondage to decay. And it can be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's a long couple of verses. What does he say? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. First man, first woman, created in the image of God, right? To reflect the glory of God. God creates this incredible creation for us to live in and to rule over, right? Remember that? We were created to rule. And when we rebelled against God, remember what happened in Genesis. Not only did we fall away from God, but remember the creation, because we were the kings and queens of the creation, and the creation is our house, our home. That when we fell, not only did we come under a curse, the whole creation came under curse. You remember what happened, what it said in Genesis chapter 3? They said that the ground will uh, produce thorns and thistles and so on, and you'll have to work hard. And when you have children, you're going to be in pain. And Adam, you're going to have to work really hard to do this thing. And so you, you catch what's happening. When the king and queen, the first of the creation fell, the whole, uh, the whole creation fell. And so this universe we live in, though it's incredibly beautiful, it's also a fallen creation. You see? You say, well, if God's in charge of this world, why are there tsunamis? If God's in charge of this world, why are there Katrinas and hurricanes? Why is there sickness? Why is there disease? Why are there birth defects? Why is there violence even in the animal kingdom? If God's in charge, why is the creation like it is? And the answer, Paul says, is that because of our rebellion as the kings and queens of the race... When we fell, the whole creation came under a curse. It's under a bondage to decay. It's a decaying creation, you see? And so what happens is that the whole universe is looking forward to the day when the creation will be restored to its original specification. And the creation understands that until we are restored as kings and queens, it can't be restored. We led the creation into the fall. We have to lead it out of the fall. Does that make sense? Okay, now, the Old Testament, of course, prophesied this. In the Old Testament, the prophets predicted a time when the creation would be recreated, when there would be a new heavens and a new earth, not so much in the sense that there would be the old one totally gone, but in the sense of being remade. Like there in your note sheet, you have a passage from Isaiah chapter 11, and here's an example from the Old Testament. It says, the wolf will, will lie down with the lamb. And the leopard, he's talking about when the Messiah comes back, when Jesus comes back, he says, the, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. In other words, there's, there's no more violence, there's no more danger. The universe is back at peace with itself. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down. The lion will eat straw like an ox, so a vegetarian lions. The infant will, will play near the hole of the cobra. The young child will put his head into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so Isaiah predicts his time when the Messiah will come and the universe will be restored. And now that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 8. He says, right now, the whole universe is subject to decay, but it's going to be set free one day. The universe is going to be restored, but it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back and restores us first. We led the creation into the mess. We have to lead it out of the mess. You see? And so he says um, in verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Um, Even as Eve, one of the parts of the curse was to groan in the pain of childbirth, uh, childbirth. So he says the whole universe is groaning in the pains of childbirth, waiting for this deliverance to come. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're as Christ followers, we've received the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit, a taste of the future. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So we're, you know, we've experienced the coming of the Holy Spirit, and yet we realize we're not what we're supposed to be. We live in these fallen bodies. We're longing, we're groaning to be set free when Jesus comes back. So we groan inwardly as we wait our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, the new body that we'll receive that will be like Jesus' bodies. Now he says, "For this, in this hope we are saved. Now catch this, very important. One of the most important teachings of the New Testament, we often talk about it here, is that this life is all about the what? The next life, right? This life's all about the next life. And this is something Jesus constantly taught. It's something the apostles taught. This life is, is 60 years, seven years, 80 years, 30 years, however long God gives you. It's a short time. The next life lasts forever. This life is all about the next life. We need to be preparing for the next life. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says in this, uh, in verse uh, 24, in this hope we were saved. Sometimes the, the non-believer will criticize the believer and say, hey, you Christians, you're all about the next life, as if it's a negative thing. But if you stop and think about it, if there is a next life, it only makes sense that this life's about the next life, right? Of course it's the most important thing. He says, in this hope you were saved. When you became a Christian, it was about primarily the next life. And not that God doesn't change your life now. And as Christ followers, we should be the ones who are most active in changing the current world, Right? But this life is about the next life. He said, this was the hope that you were saved in. And he says, "Um, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. By definition, hope has to do with something we haven't experienced yet. Now, who hopes for what he already has? I mean, why would we be hoping for something if we already had it? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he says, as, as Christ's followers, we live in this time between the times. When Jesus has come, he started this deliverance process. It's not going to be finished until he comes back. And so we live in that in-between time in this fallen world, in fallen bodies, and our focus is on what is coming. He says that's what our focus is, okay? So, so let's kind of step back now and summarize what we've learned Then Paul says, when a man or a woman comes to Jesus... The Holy Spirit comes in our life. We begin to experience God. We begin to experience his forgiveness. We begin to experience a new relationship. And one of the things the Holy Spirit tells us is we have a new relationship with God and that we are heirs of all that's coming They have this amazing future, and the whole creation can't wait until our true identity as sons and daughters of God is revealed because once it's revealed, the whole uh, universe gets to be restored to its original specifications, okay? So that's the flow of the passage. Now, here's what I want to do, though. In the time that we have together, I want to focus on two just pivotal, critical truths for us as Christ's followers. Like if we want to be members uh, of the way, you know, if we want to part of the movement that Jesus called the way. If we want to be part of that movement, there are two critical truths that Paul lays out in this passage just that are core to what it means to be a Christ follower, okay? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the Package Deal, Suffering and Glory. And let's jump in and see what he says. The first principle that comes from this passage goes like this. Is that we were created for glory... It's our destiny. This is the good news principle of these two. That we are created, we are created for glory. Um, it's our destiny. Well, let's talk about this. Um, what do I mean when we're created for glory? Uh, we don't use the word glory a lot in everyday language, or in everyday life, do we? It's not a real uh, kind of popular term these days. Um, we may use it occasionally, like if we talk about the Olympics. Uh, like, how many of you watch the Olympics? You enjoy? It? I mean, it's great. weren't they great this year? It was awesome. I mean, you see an athlete like a Michael Phelps. You know the eight, uh, the, the eight gold medals. I don't know if you saw that race where where he won just by this extra reaching out. That extra. It was just a They played it a billion times and. And, and, you know, you see him up there on the podium, he's got his eight medals on. And, and, or you see a, an athlete like Brian Clay from Azusa Pacific over here who won the decathlete, you, know, you know, the decathlon. Uh, or you see the gymnasts like a Sean Johnson. Uh, and you see, and, we, and we'll talk about the glory of athletics, won't we? We'll, we'll use the term that they, well, they, they went for the glory or the glory of their, their, their win. And so there's from time to time, we use the term glory today a little bit. But by and large, we don't. But when you turn to the Bible, the word glory is a big-time word. Um, It's a word that's most often used to describe God. And it's one of those words that's a little hard to get our hands around because we're trying to describe the indescribable. You know, you're trying to describe God. Um, But as you look at the word, um, it's often used to describe uh, God's, like, his core character. When you talk about the glory of God, you talk about his, like, his compassion, his goodness, his integrity. Uh, his brilliance, his creativity, uh, the fact he always does what's right. He always does what's true. He always keeps his promises. And so we talk about the glory of God. And sometimes it's used to describe his core character. Often it's used to describe in a different way. It's almost to describe like his power, his abilities, uh, his beauty, his brilliance in terms of light. You know? For example, um, uh, Moses, um, one time he asked God, uh, God, can I see your glory? And I would just love to see your glory. Can you just kind of reveal yourself to me in all your glory? I just like pull back the blinds. I just want it all. And I don't know if you remember that, what God said. He, he said to him, uh, Moses, and he kind of put it in human language. He said, Moses, um, uh, I can't really show you all my glory. Um, what I can do, he uses human language. He said, how about this? I'm going to put you here in the rock, in the cleft of the rock here, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And then I'm going to go by, uh, and after I go by, you can see my back, uh, because if you were to see my face, if you were to see all my glory, you'd be fried. Now, you can't take all of my glory, but I'll give you a glimpse of my glory. Uh, About 700 years later, the prophet Isaiah comes to along. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when Isaiah has his first vision uh, of God, and God's in this uh, huge, majestic, uh, heavenly temple. And it's just overwhelming. It's overpowering. And, uh, and, and, and Isaiah is just blown away by the brilliance, by the splendor. And uh, there's these, these angelic beings, supernatural beings, hovering over uh, God's head. And what they're announcing to anyone who comes in the temple, they're just kind of announcing his presence to anyone who comes in. They're just like the permanent announcers. And, and what they're saying to one another is holy, which is another kind of big picture word for God That's because you're trying to describe the undescribable. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Have, uh, the earth is full of his glory, right? So what's the glory of God? He says the earth is full of it. When you when you look out and you see the a picture of the, the Swiss Alps, you know it's it's glory. Or when you look into the Grand Canyon, the depth of the Grand Canyon is just so huge and so big. It's like it's like glory. When you when you look over the the massive, um, endless expanse of rainforest, and it's glory. Um, you look through the crystal mountain stream that's rushing along, and what is it? It's glory? You see what I'm saying? You look out at a starry, starry night in the middle of the, the desert and you just look in the depths of space and it's, it's glory. And so, so the Bible says if you understand the glory of God, you know, you, one place to look is the creation. For example, there in your note sheet, the Psalm 19, uh, David says the heavens declare the glory of God. When you look at creation, you're out in nature. You just see the glory of God. Uh, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. so, so m- most of the time in the Bible, when you have the word glory, it's describing God. and it's amazing how is kind of word, how amazing God is you talk about his glory. but here's an interesting thing. The interesting thing is that the Bible also often uses the word glory to describe us of all things. that the Bible says that we were created, to be to share in God's glory. Interesting. Notice in that that as the creation reflects and reveals God's glory, you look at the creation, you say, "How amazing is God?" Right? Um, that the most amazing thing of the creation was supposed to be you and I. We were supposed to be the high point of creation. In fact, um, more than any place else, you would look, you'd look at a human being. You'd say, wow, God's amazing to have made that. You see, that's what we were designed for. That's our destiny. Look on your note sheet, the next verse there in Psalm 8. He says, when I, uh, David says, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, when I look out at the sky at night, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why do you even pay attention to us? the Son of Man, that you, that you care for Him. You made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned Him with what? Do you see that? You crowned Him with glory and with honor. You see what we're created for? And you made him ruler. Remember we talked about it being ruler of all creation? You made him to be ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. Are you catching this? You and I were created for glory. We were created to reflect and to share God's glory. Now, this is the thing. This is what happened at the fall, is we lost the glory. And this is what Paul's been telling us all through Romans. Think what he's been saying. Romans 3.23, famous verse, For all have sinned and fallen short of the, the glory. You see that? Often we think that just means, oh, we did 18 things wrong. You know? I've fallen short of the glory. Here's what I did this and that. No, no, no. It's not saying, it's not talking about individual sins. It's saying as a person, you have fallen short of what you were designed to be. You are designed to be Amazing. You were designed to be the most amazing thing in all creation, that more than the the Swiss Alps, more than the depths of space, more than the sun, the moon, the stars, you were created to reveal God's glory. That's what you were created to be. And because of the fall, we've lost that, and Jesus came to restore that, you see? He came to make you who you were designed to be. are Are you with me? Are you catching this? You see, so, so Jesus didn't come just to forgive you of your sins. He came to restore the glory in your life. Now, once we've said this, you see it all the way through Romans. Like, take your Bibles. Let's go back to Romans chapter 2, and let's just trace this through Romans. In Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, and we'll pick it up at verse 6. Now, we're kind of jumping in the middle of his argument here, but let's just go for it. It says, verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he's done. To those who who by persistence in doing good seek what? Glory, honor, and immortality. Let's read those three words together. Glory, honor, and immortality. This is what we were created for. Glory, honor, and immortality. What does that sound like? that sounds like the Greek gods of old, doesn't it? Glory and honor and immortality. And what does he say? To those who by by persistence in doing good, well, this is what we're seeking in our life. We're seeking glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. This is why Jesus came for us, is to restore the glory, you see, to our lives. Uh, look, uh, turn forward a couple pages to, uh, to uh, Romans chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we've come into this new relationship with God. We've been made right with God through our faith in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom? We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember when we talked about this? We stand in a place called grace, right? And we rejoice in the hope of the what? The glory of God. You see, Paul says, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. We've entered into this new relationship. We are excited about entering into the glory of being restored to the glory that we were created for. Look in chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. This is the passage we looked at today in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the what? The glory that will be revealed where? In us. You see that? Not to us, in us. He says that, the, the suffering you're going through now is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in your life when Jesus comes back. You see, this is our destiny. This is what we are created for. This is why Jesus has come. Um, look down. We're going to jump ahead to a passage we'll be looking at next week. Look at verse 29, 829. He's talking about the process a person goes through when Jesus draws us to himself. He says in verse 29, For those God foreknew, he knew us before the, the beginning of time, in other words, he also predestined, he planned, for us to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So God's plan, ultimate plan for your life is to be like his Son. That's what following Jesus, I often say this, the whole reason we follow Jesus is to be like Jesus. right? And so this is what he's saying that to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, then we'd be just like our big brother, Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he planned ahead of time, he also called. So there was a point in your life where the light went on to you and you realized Jesus was after you and you got it and you had that aha moment and he called you and you responded, right? And then it says, and, those when he, and then when, you, when, he, when he called you, then those he, he also justified. When you came to Christ and you trusted in Christ, he made you right with God. But look what the last stage is. And those he justified, he also what? Glorified. You see what's happening here? Is that we've got to catch this, that God has a plan for your life. It is an eternal plan. This life is just the beginning. It's just the starting point of it. Anything you've experienced of God now is just the very beginning. It's only a taste of what is coming in the future. The future that God has designed for you is so incredible. It's so amazing that Paul says it doesn't even deserve to be compared with anything that might cost us here, you see, because your destiny is glory. You are going to shine with him in a way that's just even impossible for us to understand. Now, every week we say this. We start with the letter of Romans. Then we use it as a jumping off point, a gateway into the rest of the writings of Paul, right? Let's see what else he says. Look in your note sheet there. And from Colossians chapter 3, here's how Paul puts it. For you died, in other words, when you came to Jesus and you gave your life to him and you died with him in the waters of baptism. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, as you sit here today, you're a Christ follower. Can I just trust me? You don't look like a child of God right now. I'm telling you right, okay, I'm looking at you, there's no one here, you just look like, wow, there's a, there's a god or a goddess right there, you know, they're just shining, see the light coming out of them, like, like none of us here, you look fairly normal to me, some of you less than normal, but fairly normal, all right, and so what Paul is saying is, right now, your life is hidden in Christ, you are a child of God, you are an heir of all of God's fortunes, but right now, you are incognito. Right now, you look fairly normal, right? He says you're hidden in Christ. But look what he says. He says, but when Christ who is your life, in other words, he's come inside of you, he's given you life. When Christ who is your life it appears, when he comes back, guess what? You will appear with him in what? In glory, you see? You're going to be just like him. You don't look like him right now. You're hidden. But your future is amazing. You're going to be just like him. Now look at the next verse, Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship as Christ's followers, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, the whole universe, he will transform our lowly bodies, so they will be like his, what? Glorious body, you see? Now, you gotta catch this. God's vision for your life is so much bigger than you could ever understand. Your future is so much bigger than you could ever understand. And this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 8, that when Jesus comes back and your adoption is going through, and your adoption goes through, you're gonna be amazing. You are created for glory. It's your destiny. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means, men and women. It means that right here, right now, we need to start honoring one another as for who we are. Because here in the body of Christ, we recognize who we are. You see? We may not have the new bodies yet, but we begin to understand that that person next to you is a Christ follower. They have Jesus Christ inside of them. And one day they are going to be amazing. And the more we realize it, the more we begin to treat each other with love and respect and dignity and honor. Because the weakest believer in this room tonight is going to be someone that if we were to see them now in their glory, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship. I'll go next, C.S. Lewis, what he says. You know, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, <laughs> Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, Mere Christianity. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that even the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. Wow. You see, do you understand what I'm saying now? Do you see why I call this part of this the part of this series, this, this mini-series, rescued and restored? You see? That restoration, we're not talking about a patch-up job. We're talking about a full-on change change of who you are. You've got the Holy Spirit now, you're beginning to get a taste of it. But what's coming, you're gonna be amazing. You're gonna be amazing. Okay. The second principle, though, that's the first one, that we are created for glory. It's our our destiny. Now, the second one goes like this, and this is the bad news. (laughs) That was the good news. We're called to suffer. It's our identity. That just as Jesus went through a two-stage process, suffering in this life, glory in the next life, We as Christ followers, guess what? We follow the same exact routine. Uh, Jesus talked about this. The last night that Jesus was with his men, he pulled them aside. He knew he was about to leave. They knew he was leaving. They were confused. He's trying to settle them down, trying to give them hope. He's trying to prepare them for the future. One of the things he says is that after I leave, you're in for some tough times. In fact, there in your note sheet, let's see what he says, John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. (laughs) Oh, great news. That's very encouraging. (laughs) Don't feel bad, they hated me first. Now, if you belong to the world, if you're part of this world system, if you thought like the world, if you acted like the world, if you were like the world, then it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. You're different. I've chosen you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. So remember the words that I've spoken to you. As you move into the future, as I leave and you go on in your life, he says, remember these words that I've spoke to you, that no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You're in for it. He's <laughs> saying, like, there's going to be a price to pay for following me. And Jesus never pulled any punches on this. If you want to follow Jesus, there's going to be a price to pay. Absolutely. Mark my words, mark it down. Sooner or later, it's going to cost you. And Jesus talked about this all the time. Sermon on the Mount. Remember uh, last year, our big series was the Sermon on the Mount, the, the movement and the message, remember? I remember what Jesus said? He said, um, blessed are you, fortunate, you're, uh, 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 fortunate person, um, when, when you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You want to be a part of my kingdom? You want to be a part of my movement? Well, okay, get used to it. You're going to be persecuted. Um, And he said, you're really blessed to be persecuted because, and he went on to say, hey, when men revile you, when men mock you, when they persecute you because of me, he said, you should rejoice, get excited. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. You're on the winning team. You know, yes, it's hard here. But in the long term, look, you should be excited about that because you're on the winning team. Uh, later on in his ministry, he said, if anyone wants to follow me, you have to be willing to take up your cross, which was an instrument of death, and follow me. Otherwise, you can't follow me. You've got to be willing to suffer. Um, how about this one? If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you disown me before men, I'll disown you. I mean, over and over again, Jesus laid it out that if you're going to follow, there's going to be a price to pay. And that's what Paul's saying here. And I want you to look at this Romans 8 and verse 17. Romans 8 and verse 17. I want you to catch this again. This is what I'm calling today the package deal. It's the title of this message. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God, we're co heirs with Christ. That's the good news, that's the destiny. Right, that's the glory. The catch is if now now circle in your Bible that word if. This is a conditional clause. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. You see that? He says if you want to experience the glory, you have to be willing to follow me and experience the suffering. See, suffering and glory are the two sides of the Christ follower's life. There is a price to pay now. Here's what I found, is that often in other cultures, we totally get this. Like if you were to go today to Indonesia, you were to go today to Pakistan. You were to go today to India. You were to go to any of the Middle Eastern Muslim countries. You were to go to Sudan today. There is no question that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and part of his movement called The Way, that you better be prepared to suffer, right? You're going to count the, you just know it going in. You know, we started the day with a story about these these men in Turkey. Remember we left them? We left them there. The three Christians there, the 36-year-old pastor, 32-year-old engaged guy, the 46-year-old German national, they're welcoming these five Muslims. They set up this appointment. They want to know more about Jesus. And so, a week and a half later, on Wednesday, April the 18th, 10 o'clock in the morning, they're publishing house on the third, third, uh, third story. They're meeting there, and the five Muslim men come in. And it starts just like it, it was planned. I mean, they have a little Bible study. The pastor, the 36-year-old, pulls out his Bible, and they begin to read from the Bible. Starts fine. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Now, I don't know if you remember the story in the news. It was big-time news. All hell breaks loose. The men pull out from their robes or clothes, whatever it was. They pull out guns. They pull out ropes. They pull out bread knives. The next three and a half hours, they torture the Christians. By the end of the three and a half minutes, and they videotaped it on their phones, it turned out that they were members of a radical Muslim fraternity next three and a half hours they tortured them they videotaped it on their phones by the time they were done the men were disemboweled emasculated their their throats slit almost decapitated the 36 year old pastor with the two preschoolers at home had 99 stab wounds in his upper body. The 46 year old German national had 156 stab wounds. The 32 year old young man who was engaged to be married had so many wounds that the human rights agency from Washington, D.C., that came into investigate, could not count them. And all three men gave their lives. For Jesus Christ on that day. Now let me ask you this. If you're living in Turkey, do you think you might think twice about getting baptized? Become a follower of Jesus? Do you think you might just think that through? Do you think you might read this passage and Paul says that we are heirs of God if we're willing to suffer? Do you think you might read it a little differently than we might read it here? Of course. Do you think you might think twice whether you follow Jesus in the waters of baptism? Of course. I think here's the danger. The danger is for us is because we've been so blessed to live in a land with religious liberty and so few of us will ever have to face that. Here's the danger. The danger is because we don't have to pay that kind of a price that we're not willing to pay any price. And we misunderstand that to follow Jesus in this life will require suffering. It's part of the package deal. There in your note sheet, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in his letter to the young pastor, Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, what's that look like? I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I can imagine. There's going to be times when there's going to be ridicule. There's going to be times when people are going to make fun of you. There's going to be times when you might lose relationships over it. There's going to be times when you might not get that job raised. There's going to be times in a college class when you're singled out by the professor and, and kind of mocked because you believe that there really is such a thing as truth in air, you really believe that there's such a thing as right and wrong. You believe that maybe the universe wasn't one big accident, but actually had some design behind it. There may be a promotion you don't get, or a relative who turns against you. Am I speaking the truth? Yeah. Now here's and here's the thing. Here's what we have, what Paul wants us to understand is that this this is part of following Jesus if we are going to be a follower of Jesus, then we have to be willing to pay the price because it's a package deal, you see? And, and I think the danger for us here in this country is like I said, is that sometimes because we don't have to pay the big price, the dangers at times we're so tempted to compromise so that we don't have to pay any price. Well, Paul says, He says, hey, don't ever forget this. If you want the glory, you have to be willing to pay the price of suffering. It's a package deal. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for this amazing future that you have planned for us and the teaching of your word, God. This is not a positive self-help talk from a pastor trying to pump people up. This is the clear teaching of your word that we were created for glory, and that our future is unbelievable. And God, we just pray that you would help us to embrace this teaching, that we'd be willing to pay whatever price it is, those time of rejection, those times we don't get the promotion, those times we can't work in that industry anymore for what's required because it causes us to compromise or causes us to do something you would not be pleased with. It causes us a relationship that we have to, to lose or some mocking we have to put up with. They're painful things, God, but help us to know that they don't even begin to compare with the future you have planned. They're not worth comparing. We pray that you'd give us grace and courage to be people who are bold about truth, what is, what is, what is true and what is right and what is good and what, what you've planned. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.